Amen. Great job. Thank you so much. You know, here's a young man who made a commitment to the Lord, and he followed through with that commitment. Now, we've been in a series of messages called Thrive because we don't want to simply survive in 2021. We want to thrive, and we've talked about several things. We've said in the very first message out of Philippians chapter 3 that Paul said, if I'm going to move forward, I've got to leave what's behind me and all the grudges, all the griefs, all the guilt, and then focus in on my one thing. And he says, my one thing is to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. So he is putting Christ first in his life. And you say, well, how do I make really Christ my passion? Because the Bible says that if you love me, Jesus said, keep my commandments. And so how do we do that? Well, we come to the place, first of all, that we receive Christ into our heart. And then after that, we obey him. We follow him in obedience to God. Now, we've said that obedience can kind of be a threat to us a little bit because we think to ourselves, well, that has to do with judgment. That has to do with control. That has to do with not being able to do what I want to do. But we've said in the Bible, obedience rather gives us freedom. And that is, it's freedom to be in the path of blessing where God wants us to be. And if we're in that path, we're in the will of God, then there's all kinds of things that God wants to give to us along the journey. And he can afford to give to us because he's not going to encourage us to be out in the wilderness somewhere out of his will, but rather he's encouraging us to stay right where we are. All kinds of blessings right there. And we know that the key to the blessing then is through obedience to God. But we find in the Bible that people made commitments in advance. And you have to do that, don't you? I mean, don't you, if you're going to go on, uh, for example, some exercise or a diet, we'll say. I keep making those kind of uh, illustrations. I know. I hear your feedback. And he said, I don't want to be reminded of that. I don't want to come to church. But really, when you go on a diet, do you, do you make a commitment in advance? Or do you uh, find yourself at a dinner table and somebody says, and the server comes along and says, would there be any dessert to that? And then now is the decision. Do I want to go on a diet or not? No, you don't make the decision then. You make it in advance. But when we talk about commitment in America in particular, we find a little shrinking back, a little, little, little guarded there because we reason to ourselves, how can I make a commitment, a real commitment in the future when I don't know what the future holds? You know, Americans like, Americans like options. In fact, a good definition of commitment is just simply is basically a promise to eliminate options and bind yourself to one option. Well, how can you do that when you don't know hardly what's going on today, much less what's going on in the future? And that's why any commitment we make is a faith commitment. It's not only in faith of what's going on today, but it's trusting God who knows the future. We're trusting God that whatever changes take place, whatever goes on in our life, uh, our commitment's not going to change because we trust him with those circumstances in life. Now, you know we make commitments all the time. We make a commitment to marriage, make a commitment to raising our children. We, we have children. We have to stick with that. We make a commitment to our career. Can you imagine some of our college students here, you're 19, 20, 21 years old, and you're making a commitment in your life to do something for the rest of your life. You're, oh, I'm going to major on this because this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. We make commitments all the time because without that, the blessings do not really flow. Success has no chance 
to really take root in our life because we're always just reacting. We're living by our emotions. We're living by the now. We're living by whatever's going to happen. We just react. We don't plan. We just react to what's going on in our life. And so we're talking this morning in particular as an example of giving to the Lord and making a commitment to that as, as is the tradition of our church. And so as we look at that, we, again, in a series of messages, and we ask ourselves, how can I make that commitment? How can I, in all peacefulness in my heart and joy, make a commitment when I don't know really what's going to go on in the future? Well, I want to take Hebrews chapter 11, the faith chapter of the Bible. And as we read this, we're going to find out, if you could read, have time to read it rather, you'd find out that over and over and over again, they mentioned people of the Old Testament that really had great faith in God. And they always did something. Faith always resulted in action in their life, particularly in the life of Abraham, as we'll be looking at and reading the scripture here in just a moment. I want us to see three things this morning. We do have a challenge of commitment. It is a challenge. Then we have a call to it. And finally, there's a faith to get there. So let's look at these three things this morning. First of all, consider the challenge. Look in verse 8 as we begin to look at the life of Abraham. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called out to go to a place that he was to receive an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Now notice that. He had no idea. Key phrase in the passage. No idea where he was going. By faith, he went to live in a land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking to the city that has foundation, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself <clears throat> received power to conceive. Even when she was in past age, she considered him, another key phrase. Why did she do that? She considered him faithful, who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, meaning he could not reproduce, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the immeasurable grains of sand by the seashore. We understand that he was talking about physical births, but also phys uh, spiritual births as well. There are three religions in the world today, three of the largest ones, two are the largest ones, Christianity, Muslim, Islam, and then Judaism that all claim Abraham as their spiritual founder, the spiritual father. And so he says, descendants as many as the stars of heaven. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear they were seeking a homeland. And then in verse 16, the very end of it, therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared a city for them. We look at this passage and we understand that, again, Abraham is a really a star of the Bible. He's one of the big guys of the Old Testament, and we find out why. But we understand also he didn't get there overnight. God had four basic callings in his life. In Genesis 12, he was called to go to a place he had never been before. In fact, Hebrews 8 tells us a commentary on that, that he didn't know where he was going. So he asked the question, where? He didn't know. He just went. Genesis 14, he was called to give. Well, how much? A tithe. Genesis 15, he says, I'm going to give you a son. He says, how, how is that going to happen? I am, I'm dead. I mean, as far as reproducing, I have no power to do that. I'm 99 years old. How is that going to happen? Then finally, God asked him in Genesis chapter 2, he called him to sacrifice his son. 
which really he didn't ask him to do. He did ask him to do it, but then he re replaced that sacrifice with something else when he knew Abraham's heart. But the question is there, why? And so every step of the way, as Abraham came to the prominence that he came to, not only in that life, but also in our lives as well, he had to respond with callings, certain commitments in his life. Now, I know we struggle with the commitment. We do. And you look at the Bible and you say, well, pastor, look, it all worked out for the people in the Bible. I mean, my goodness, you know, they prayed, they got this, they got this miracle, that miracle. And we sang about it a few minutes ago about the miracles of God. And it always, always worked out in, in the Bible for them, but yet it didn't. It didn't always work out in this lifetime. Now they got blessed because they followed God. It was a blessing all over the place. But we understand here, for example, that Abraham uh, never received, he never, he lived as a soldier the rest of his life, never received the promise, the promised land. Why? He was looking to a better city. He was looking to heaven. He was looking to the future. We understand that Moses in verse 24, uh, for example, never saw the promised land. He sinned against God and with all that he was going through because he sinned against God one time really where, where he went too far, God says, you cannot go in to the promised land. He never saw it in this lifetime. And over and over and over again, we can find, in fact, in verse 38, near the end of this chapter, it says this, of whom the world was not worthy. All these people that he mentions with great faith, and they acted upon this faith, he says, the world was not even worthy of them. Wandering about in deserts, mountains, and in the dens and caves of the earth, all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Talking about the Messiah. They never saw actually Jesus on earth. So you see, it's not always everything's all coming up roses for the people of the Bible. Yet they give us an example that when they acted in faith, they when they, when they were called, they acted in faith. They responded. Now, one of our problems, maybe the problem, is that we ask the wrong question. We began asking the wrong question. Today, I remember 20 years ago, or even 10 years ago, I remember I could witness to somebody, share Christ with someone, and if they had doubts about the Bible, I could say, well, here's the evidences of the Bible. Here's the evidence of the resurrection. Here are the evidences of the existence of God. I know all that. I can, I can share all that with people, but today... Most people, it would seem, doesn't, they don't want to know that. They don't want it. They just go right over their head. It's not something they're really interested in. What they want to know is, does Christianity, will it work for me? Will Jesus, following Jesus, work for me? Is it going to bring me more answers to prayer? Is it going to bring me more uh, prosperity in life? Is it going to help me reach my goals in life? And that's the wrong question. And, and I would say this, if that's your question, the answer is no. Because when we come to God with the wrong motive, obviously just not going to probably work out for us that well. When we come to, to God, even in giving, in order to get something back, we probably won't get anything back. But if we come to him with putting Jesus Christ first, then we're going to get blessed, the Bible says, more than we, we were uh, blessing on, or just operating on our own. So we begin with the wrong question. The right question is this. Is Jesus Christ God? Is he the almighty, all-powerful, all-loving, all-merciful, all-giving son of the living God? That's the question. 
Because once you answer that question, everything else should be frivolous. It should be, okay, God, what do you want me to do? Where do I go now? What do I do now? Not, well, I'm following Jesus. I'm trusting him. Now, listen to this. I'm trusting him with my soul. I'm trusting him with heaven or hell. I'm trusting him with the afterlife. I'm trusting him with nothing else I'm doing to forgive my sins. But you know, I can't trust him with my career. I can't trust him with my giving. I can't trust him with my money. I can't trust him with my family. Those things are not the great question. The great question is, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the living son of God? If you believe that, then Matthew 6, tells us, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. So are you asking the right question? As God calls you, are you answering that? One writer said this, this is a great quote. You have no idea what hangs in the balance in embracing God's call in your life. Well, without the commitment, what do you live by? Well, I don't know if I want to exercise this morning or not. I'm just going to get up in the morning and find out whether I want to or not. No, it takes, it takes commitment. Otherwise, just going by emotions. Oh, what, what about the, I, I just don't know whether I really want to make good on this test or not. I don't know whether I want to close that project or not. No, you make a commitment in advance. Otherwise, you're being led by your circumstances and by your emotions. So what kind of callings do we have? Well, we look at this and understand that everybody was living by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed. By faith, he went and lived in the land of promise, verse 9. By faith, verse 11, Sarah herself received power. Uh, by faith, it says that, that Moses or, or Joseph at the end of his life, in verse 22, made mention of the Exodus. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. There was a calling in each one of their lives. Now, if you study the theology a little bit, you might say, well, you know, there's uh, maybe eight, 10 callings of the believer in the Bible or 10 callings in the Bible. Let me give you just three of them because not only what we're covering today, but also in the interest of time, there's the calling of salvation. Jesus said, no one could come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. God calls us to salvation. You and I, you may be sitting here today, and you and I are moved by the Holy Spirit in different ways. You know, it's not about giving to you. It's about salvation to you. You're here because, <clears throat> you're here because God has moved on your heart through a witness, through maybe watching uh, something on television, God touching your heart for something in the past. It could be a death in the family, but God is drawing you to salvation. That's a calling. We're also called to stewardship. We went over this last week, but for some of you who missed that, it says the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, the world who, who, and those who dwell therein. The Bible says that we're not owners of anything. We're going to leave it all behind. All our time, talent, treasures, all of it is going to be left behind to someone else or to no one at all. The Bible says that we are not owners. God owns everything and we are stewards, our managers of God's possessions and his creation. Why does he give it to you? Why does he give the talent? Why does he give the, the tools? Why does he give the treasure? For you to use it for the glory of God. Everyone, er, everything God gives us from every blessing is a tool. It's a trust. And it's a test. 
And when I come before God, when you and I as believers come before God in heaven, and he asks us one question at the beam of judgment, and that is, what have, this is your stewardship, what have you done with what I've given you to do with? Stewardship, it's all in the Bible. It's lordship, it's, it's all-encompassing of so many things in the scripture. We can't miss it. We're managers of God's, creation, of God's creation and God's dominion. Deuteronomy 8.18 says, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. And so there's a calling there to stewardship. There's also a call to giving. All throughout the Bible, as we said last week, that Jesus said more about giving than any other subject because it's, it reveals the condition of where we are with him. Have we asked that first question? Well, if Jesus, if it's all about Jesus, then the rest of it is just kind of automatic. Just tell me what to do. Genesis 14, 20, the Bible says that Abraham first gave a tenth of everything they had. Malachi 3.10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. And there may be food in my house. That's a purpose. And thereby put to me the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, until it overflows, basically is what it says there in the Hebrew. Now, I know that um, I gave you an illustration last week about my, um, my grandfather being a sharecropper. And back in those days, uh, someone would own the land, someone else would work the land, the person that worked the land would get the harvest in and pay half of the profit to the owner of the property. And we went over that and we said what, how God is different than being an owner like we're sharecroppers. Well, here's another something that might, uh, might help you understand a little bit better. You know, I have uh, basically 10 ones representing uh, maybe your paycheck. I mean, hopefully it's more than 10 bucks, okay? Uh, hopefully it will, will be. But we'll just say this represents, each one represents 10% of your income. And you say, okay, I'm, everything I have belongs to God. I'm gonna leave it all behind. In fact, uh, it's a stewardship of God. And there's so many needs in the world, so many hungry to feed, so many people to reach for Jesus Christ, so much to do here, but also all around the world, that maybe God would say, uh, Lord, would you at least give me 50, 50% to make a living for my family? And then I'll give half to you like a sharecropper. And God says, no, you don't have to do that. And he says, okay. What? And you say, what about 70%? God, could I keep 70% and just give 30% to you? I mean, after all, so much is on the line and it all belongs to you. And he says, well, as a general rule, a place to start, not a place to stop, but a place to start, I, I, you know, I want you to step out on faith and I want to, you to give just one of the dollars, just 10%. And I want you to keep the other 90%. And as you grow in faith, you'll give more. But as, you, as a beginning step, 10%, keep 90% for your family, for your education, for the things that are going on in your life for the ple some of the pleasures even of life, the, the good things of life sometimes, you keep 90%. And God says, just 10. Now that's what God has said of us. He says, everything I have, everything you have, I've given you and I'm gonna be generous to you. And so therefore I want you to be generous with others as well. We can find that, 
The purpose of tithing, the Bible says, is to always put God first in our life. Every time I give, I'm reminded that God is first place in my life because I give it first. Because when do you give? Well, Proverbs 3, 9, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits, the very first thing of all your produce. What does this do? Well, it honors God. I'm obedient to him. I'm declaring that he is Lord of my life. I'm putting him first in my life. Also as a blessing to others. We find in our church, and this is not a, a bragging thing, but you just need to know that your money's going toward something good. Over 5,000 baptisms in 27 years, and many more before that. We've had 125 people not only called a full-time Christian service, but are active in some way in full-time Christian service. We have community involvement. Just in the last year or two, we've been feeding the hungry. We help the schools, the two high schools in this area put cameras in uh, both high schools, all the cameras that they have right now for security, we bought for them through uh, Secure Oviedo Schools. Uh, paying off hospital debt for everyone in the delinquent hospital debt for everyone in the city of Oviedo last year. Giving to mission churches, starting mission churches all over the world. Your personal growth, your personal growth. I am convinced if you come here, if, you can, if you're coming here, and you're hearing these messages, and then you're going to small group, and you learn those things, and if you somehow could be 100% applying that to your life, oh my goodness, your life would be so blessed. You'd be so at peace, so much joy. Because the closer you get to God, the greater the peace, the greater the joy, the, the greater the hope. And so it's your spiritual growth, it's your children's spiritual growth as well. So much on the line. Listen to what A.W., the prophet, I would say he's kind of like a modern day prophet. He's gone on to be with the Lord. But A.W. Tozer said this, a ba as base a thing as money often is, it yet can be transmuted into everlasting treasure. It can be converted into food for the hungry and clothing for the poor. It can keep a missionary actively winning lost men to the light of the gospel and thus transmute itself into heavenly values. Any temporal possession can be turned to everlasting wealth. Listen to this as he concludes. Whatever is given to Christ is immediately touched with immortality. God can take something like money that's used so much for evil and make it so much for good. Well, it's a blessing to others. It's a blessing to you. When you ask that right question, when you follow Jesus and do things because you're obedient to him and committed to him, the Bible says, whoever brings blessing will be enriched and one who waters will himself be watered. So how do you do this? You do it with faith. And it's always a struggle of faith, always. Anytime we make a commitment, anytime we obey God, it is made in the atmosphere of struggle, and it's all about not your money, not your talents, not your time. It's about our faith, the future faith that we have. Now, in Hebrews chapter 11, basically it starts off in verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It really describes what faith is all about. It's the assurance that you're going to have something in the future that God promises, a conviction of the things that you can't see. You can't see God. You can't see the angels. You, could, you can't see the Son of God right now. It's the conviction of things that you can't see. And then in verse 6, we see the necessity of it. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. 
forever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. In other words, you can trust him. He's not only going to provide your every need, he's going to reward those as you seek him. All commitments are made in the atmosphere of struggle. And the Bible says the one thing that you ask yourself, is Jesus Christ the faithful one? That's what Sarah said. It says she counted him as faithful who had promised. He's all powerful, all loving, a refuge and a strength, an anchor of the soul. Listen to Hebrews 6, 19. Jesus, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the veil. I remember as a college student in Athens, Georgia, my pastor, Bill Ricketts, would preach on tithing and finances every September for three weeks. The whole time I was a member there. And uh, probably did it until he retired. And I remember a college student that was just led to the Lord, just brand new believer. He just said, you know, I don't need all these sermons on money. I just don't need it. Just tell me what to do. I mean, I, I'm saved and Jesus Christ has met my need. Not only that, but I'm worshiping him. I'm putting him first place in my life. I don't need all the explanation. I just need, and he asked me, Dwayne, what does God want me to do? I turned to Malachi 3.10, bring all the tithe into the storehouse. I said, that means 10th, a 10th portion. So what you need to do, if you want to obey God, is right out the, right at the, first, the first thing that you do when you get paid is give God 10% through the church. He says, all right, that sounds good. That's what I'll do. That's what he did. Real simple. He, now, some of us need a greater explanation. Some of us maybe have things in our past that would say, oh, you know, God's just after my money or that pastor's just after my money. He's just trying to raise his salary. Listen, we've passed the budget. My salary's already set. And so is everyone here on staff, set in stone, okay? So we're not doing that. But there's always something maybe in the back of your mind. But the question is this, is Jesus Christ trustworthy? Is he faithful? Is he the son of the living God? If he, is he all powerful? Is he faithful to you? Can you trust him? If so, the question is, okay, what do you want me to do? What's the next step? What do you want me to do? And this morning, he wants us to deal with that which is in our life. Whatever that is, there's people, there are people here. We have, in fact, we have for sure in both of our services, counting combined, probably 50, 60% of our people at least. I don't know the number anymore exactly, but somewhere around the 50, 60% mark that people that tithe already as far as the regular attenders here. And so you may be de dealing with something else, something else that God is moving on your heart about. But this morning... If he has not moved on your heart or he has moved on your heart in the past, but you've never committed to him in the area of your finances, you need to grapple with that today. And you need to ask yourself the question, one question. Is Jesus Christ my, my Lord? He died on the cross for me. He, he is the giver of all things. He's not a taker. He's a giver. I can trust him. Okay, fine. What do you want me to do? That's it. That ought to be the question. Commitment is obeying the callings of God in my life right now. When do you make the commitment? If you don't make it now, folks, probably won't make it. At least not for another year. Because you're going to wake up tomorrow and you say, well, you know, I didn't make that commitment and I'm not dead yet. You can laugh if you'd like. 
Thank you very much for that courtesy laugh, courtesy laugh. Seriously, you know, next week comes up. I didn't get sick this week. I, I can live okay with this. I, I've lived all right without obeying God this long in this area. I can, you see, you, you never get around to it. So why should you do it? Do it because it's the key to blessing. Any commitment that you make opens the, the floodgates of God pouring out his blessing as you're on the path of blessing. That's what the blessing comes in, in marriage when you make that commitment. The blessing comes when you make that commitment to raise children. The blessing comes when you finally say, you know, I'm at peace with it. This is my career. I'm going to enjoy it. It's a commitment. And then it's because it's hard. So now, wait a minute. I thought you were going to make it easy. Well, it's easier than what you think. But for some of you, because of how you feel maybe about money right now or where you are right now and looking toward 2021 is hard. I've always taught my children, when you're, you're having a fear in your life, when you're just so reluctant to do something, do it. Why? Because it's hard. As one of our former presidents said, we don't do things because they're easy. We do them because they are hard. It'll help you get over the fear. It'll release that idol in your life. You do it. You do it today because it's hard. It will build character. And then it's right. It's just the right thing to do. I've discovered in my life, as long as you do the right thing, pe people may attack you, all right? You may do the right thing at work, and all of a sudden, you, you know, uh, man, we could do this over here and make more money, but you do the right thing. You will never have to go to the mirror one day and say, I can't believe the kind of person you ended up being. You never have to feel that kind of guilt. You always do the right thing, and this is the right thing. And then finally, you do it now because, again, if you don't do it now, you just won't do it. I love what Oswald, Oswald Chambers said. Great quote. When we obey God, he will tax the remotest star and the last grain of sand to assist you with his almighty power. I'd like for you to do something right now. It's customary in our church. I'd like for you to take the card that you can find located in your uh, somewhere there in your pew. You pick it up. That should be at the end of the row. Should be. These cards, and this one's already placed in an envelope. Let me show you what they look like. This should be uh, like this in a card. And they're at the end of your row. And you say, well, I don't want one. Well, unless you pick them up and pass them down, nobody on your row is going to have one. And so please do that. <clears throat> now, what I want us to do, again, we, we like to do this every year because it's a church doing it together. Some of you that are watching online, you can go online, you can use your QR code. In fact, some of you here can do the same thing. It's on the QR code, just pull that up or go online and, uh, at crosslifechurch.com and you can pick up one of these uh, as well. And so I'd like for all of our church family to participate. If you're guests today, and you're planning on uh, joining here, then we invite you to uh, participate as well. If you're just a guest here, to, you're, you're a guest here today, you're kind of kicking the tires, you know, just walk with us through this a little bit. You don't have to commit at all. 
In fact, uh, I would encourage you to take the welcome card and fill it out. And so we'll know you're here and how to minister to you. But in this pink card, you can find, and it's a step of faith on the faithfulness and the promise of God. I will, and we give you four things. Uh, the first three are choices. Begin tithing 10% to the Cross Life Church. You, you're not tithing now or tithing to the church. Now you're committing for the first time to give 10% of your income as the Lord instructs what we've been talking about. The second thing is continue to tithe because many of you are doing that or giving above the tithe, which we've been challenged by Mr. Mims today to do that. And it's a great challenge. Pam and I give above our tithe and uh, we, we would challenge you to do the same. God will bless it. But there you just put a check in the box, even if it's tithing or giving above the tithe. And then the third one's kind of curious because I really haven't talked about it because uh, I know a lot of people are saying, well, I just don't know if I have the faith for that. Okay, let, let you be blessed on the faith that you have. And so what we're asking you to do is give, start off this coming month in February, 2%. If you're gonna start this month, 1%. 1% of your income this month. 2% in February, 3% in March, and let it grow 1% every month until October. And by October, you'll be an obedient tither to the Lord. And you'll be growing in your faith the whole time with it. If that's what you want to do, we would support you in that. And you can put a check there. And everyone else, or maybe everyone needs to check this box, pray for the ministry of Cross Life Church. Now, what I want us to do, I want us to pray, and I want to pray for you. Before you do, we do that, I want you to pray for yourself, ask God for wisdom, ask God for courage and faith on what to do, and maybe even take a time that you pray with your family or pray with your spouse or at least hold hands as you're praying silently together. And so you can kind of be in this thing together uh, as a couple or as a family. And so I want to give a pause right now with every head bowed and every eye closed. As you have the card in your hand right now, whether you're here or at home, I'd like for you to do the same thing. Be with us. This is a church family thing, and we're all in this together, and we're all believing in what we're doing. And so I would ask you to do this as, as a church family together. Pray right now for wisdom. Pray right now for courage and faith, and I'll give you a moment to do that. Father, we come to you in prayer in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I pray for those that are here today online or on television watching. And whatever, wherever they are, whether they're using the QR code, whether they're using the piece of paper, the card that we've given them, or uh, somewhere the card, on, the card online, I pray, God, that we can have that sense of unity in, of the body of Christ, saying, God, I, I believe in what we're going to do here in the future. I believe in the mission of our church, teaching people to love and know, trust and follow Jesus so that the sun will never set on the ministry of Cross Life Church. Lord, it takes giving, and yet, Lord, more than what the never church needs, like than, uh, we need to give. give Obedient Christians need to say, God, I'm gonna go with you no matter what. 
And so, Lord, I pray that we would do this as a personal thing, but also knowing that we're affecting in a positive way the entire body of Christ. We will pray it all in Jesus' name as you give us the courage and faith that we need at this moment and in the future. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.